You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back everyone to Arsenal Pass episode 143. This week on the pod, we're talking about the reveal or the return, Brendan, the mm. triumphant return of Ryan after Class Constructed. Everyone has been very, very happy. It's been a unanimous kind of uh, response on Twitter. Brendan, I don't know, are you, are you on Twitter these days? Are you on X? Are you jeeting, as you like to say? Nah. Nah. Nah, he's done. I don't know. Twitter is an interesting, an interesting platform. It exposes you to information, which makes you more aware of your surroundings, but it's also mostly negative. So, <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, I'm off Twitter for now. I just found myself in my free time just like always scrolling Twitter. Which is pretty much the same as scrolling shorts, which, yeah, it's the world we live in. Tick tock. Uh, yeah, this week on the pod, we can talk about, I guess, uh, the triumphant return of Reinar has not been seen the same by many. I know I got some interesting messages, <laughs> Brendan, after we showed uh, Reinar off as the latest hero to join in with heavy hitters. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of what that means for Class Constructed. I'm pretty optimistic and pretty excited about right now we did a bit of a patreon pod kind of we dropped it as our preview cards went live and then we talked a bit about kind of the heroes so far our thoughts on what this might mean for the game um but i've had even more thoughts brendan since then particularly about right now so we can talk a bit more about right now and you know answer the question brendan will right now win a pro tour in 2024 answers clearly yes uh you know Lock it in for LA. It's a question now because in the title of this video, it's definitely in a uh, statement. Reinar will win a Pro Tour in twenty. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll say that. Reinar will win. Lock it in. You heard it here first. And we're also going to talk about, a little bit about Heavy Headers Limited. We kind of have a bit of an understanding of what this limited format might shake out like. And I think it's an interesting time to just take a first glimpse at, at Heavy Headers Limited. Um, but anyway, New Year, New You. How was your, uh, how was your New Year's? Happy 2024. Yeah, I did absolutely nothing. So, New Year's Eve. <clears throat> I did a 10 mile run a race, uh, which sucked ass because it, yeah, it was at six in the morning and it was uh, like 30 degrees. So yeah, that was fine. Uh, that's, and then I just did nothing for the rest of the day. I felt like death. Yeah. Awesome. Right. <laughs> so you had a great end to 2023. Yeah. That's how That was New Year's Eve in the morning. Yeah. That's how you know you're getting old is when someone's like, oh, what, what kind of stuff did you do? And it's not like partying. It's not seeing friends. It's like, oh, I just did this like shitty activity to make myself feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I won't say what I did then. No, no. What'd I mean, you do? I just, I spent, just spent some time with friends. It was great. Mm. Um, yeah. You partied, didn't you? No, I didn't actually. I woke up pretty clear-headed on the first. So, um, you know, I, I stayed up. So, okay, this is the, Sydney is like really well known for this massive fireworks display on mm. New Year's Eve. I don't know if you've ever heard about this before, Brendan. It's nope. they spend apparently six point two million dollars on this fireworks display, right? Um, taxpayer Wait, money well spent. Do- dollar dues or, or real dollars? <laughs> Australian dollars. Okay. So, like four and a half million or four million US, whatever. The exchange rate isn't that bad, my friend. It's not that bad. But um. Yeah, so I, I hadn't really looked. I'd never really seen it before. I was like, ah, it's just fireworks. Like, who cares? I've lived here for now. This will be my seventh, I think, New Year's mm-hmm. or sixth New Year's. And I was like, I, I don't need to see this. I This time I got a good view. Uh, was with some friends and I saw it. And actually, it was pretty spectacular, to be honest. So, um, yeah. I, I now understand why people come from around the world to see this this fireworks yeah. display. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've, they do a pretty crazy one in Bangkok that I've seen like four or five times mm. um, on the river. And- 
yeah, I don't know. I you think fireworks are fireworks until you don't see them for a while, and then you see them again. You're like, holy shit, it's pretty <laughs> it's cool. Like, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get into some news. Not much happening, I guess. Like this is we, we've been saying it's off season. You know, I think LSS can completely shut up shop for the last two weeks, so not too much being published news wise when it comes to Flesh and Blood. Um, but we we did reveal the latest hero for heavy hitters uh, over the weekend, which is Reiner, Reckless Rampage, and Reiner into the limited format and uh, Beat Chest. Kind of, uh, we were, we were meant to reveal Beat Chest, but it did get sort of slightly accidentally shown a little bit early uh when it was uploaded to one of the LSS pages but we got to show beat chest a little bit and our our rhino specialization card show no mercy as well which we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about if you haven't seen brendan and mine doing some great acting as per usual in our little snippets that we upload for every preview you can go and check that out on twitter that was hard that was hard bro filming our video brendan, yeah brendan sent me the video and the opening of the video just says this is so cringe and then he proceeds <laughs> to do exactly what he was told so Thank you. Um, the other thing I want to shout out, just news-wise, I guess while 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 we're in the section, so I can use this platform, is uh, we're into 2024. We did put a post out to our patrons saying, "What content do you want to see in 2024?" And I'm extending that to to all Arsenal Pass listeners. What content do you want to see from us in 2024? Not saying that we'll do it, but you know, throw your suggestions in the YouTube comments uh, if you're watching this on YouTube. Otherwise, you know, if you are one of our patrons and you're in the Discord, go into our Discord and, and chuck it in in the uh, feedback channel there. But yeah, love to know kind of what what content you might want to see in 2024 brendan is planning to do like some interpretive flesh and blood dance i mm. believe i was gonna say content, i'm really so. i'm really interested to see where flesh and blood content goes in 2024 in terms of like how it levels up uh because obviously when we started back in like early 2020 significantly different i mean there was like no content on oh, yeah. but um i wonder if we'll see a new a new big podcast i know like i for me the headliner of 2023 for content is probably and i know it gets mentioned a lot on this podcast probably three floating like that channel mm. coming into its own and that level of production and that style of production i think has made flesh and blood palatable to an audience that potentially wasn't watching content before uh yeah so i'm interested to see what our next level up or sorry in 2023 what our next level up in 2024 will be um for flesh and blood content or will we stagnate will we peter out i mean is it just going to get better i don't know Brendan's going to issue the challenge there. Make it better. Yeah, it's not. I'm not going to be doing it. Somebody else got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to the Commander Cookout. And uh, as per usual, or I guess a newly as per usual, we're going to talk YouTube comments. But first of all, I do have a question from the Discord, Brendan. This comes from Rob saying, with the winter months, we've had lower attendance of armories and this skirmish season for us was not well attended. How do we as a community keep players coming back and continue to get players into the game? Now, this is something I wanted to bring up because I have heard this has been similar in in my yeah. area as well and i know i i couldn't have a bit of an issue with some of the timing of skirmish season particularly this last season i didn't get to go to a skirmish which i would have liked to have played um but it really revolved around worlds so it was it was hard to get to um but yeah i think this is an interesting question you know we come into december and last year this time we had dynasty release right so there was some incentive for people to to go and play there was a new set out right but now there's you know this is literally kind of almost completely dead air until we hit heavy hitters so i don't know how how, how do we keep armory does it matter is it, is it fine to have well this? it doesn't matter i mean for the game it definitely matters doesn't matter for us uh doesn't matter for rob um yeah i mean probably to an extent this is so this is an interesting topic in flesh and blood because 
Uh, Flesh and Blood has always been cyclical in terms of attendance and armories, and also cyclical on the micro, which is set by set, month to month. You know, maybe people are taking off because it's winter, maybe people take off because it's summer and they want to be outside more, but that's probably unlikely. But also on the macro, right? Um, Flesh and Blood, once it you know started to gain traction, armory attendance way up, and then it kind of like you know it lulls a bit, and then it comes back. Um, so there's the inherent nature. It's also regional based. Um, I know some mm. regions like they maintain attendance throughout the year, throughout the sets, and then other regions, you know, we we frequently hear about this. Even in because right now I think it's, it's almost a categoric categorical down period. But even in periods that are relatively fresh and relatively new, we do we get comments like this about armories not being attended, stores dropping the game, um, etc. So. I do think that this, you know, this winter period, this end of year period is, like I said, almost an objective down period. And there, that will lead to less armory attendance and potentially less attendance in skirmish. How do we keep community? How does the community keep people coming back to get new players to the game? I mean, that's really interesting. I, I, I actually, I don't have the answer. So I want to ask you a question, Hayden. What like what really facilitates players going to a game store to play a game, especially in the context of an online alternative existing or analog existing? Is it things like prize support, armory structure, like this this sort of this OP structure that Legendary Studio puts on, or is it the communities in and of themselves that that create a culture in which people come back? Uh, back to consistently to you know see their friends have a social uh, social experience etc like what is the main motivator that keeps up armory attendance is it promos like what is it i I think it's a few things i think the so getting people in the door first of all you've got to have something enticing you gotta have a program that's enticing is the current armory structure that um i think it could be improved for sure and i I have i have some ideas based on this you know i think thinking about this question as well so that's why i kind of grabbed this question i was thinking about this what, what rob's asked um so I can touch on that in a second, but I, th- I think it's a couple of things, right? I think, you know, first of all, you got to get people in the door. So I think you need a structure there that entices and whether that is, like you say, it's it's promos, maybe it's an opportunity to try different formats. Maybe it's a really approachable way to get into the game. Um, I know like for me, when I first played Magic the Gathering, for instance, I was looking for places where I could go and draft because I didn't own cards. So like I wanted to, and that's that's me personally, you know, but I, I was like, well, constructed, I, I don't have cards for mm-hmm. this. I don't know anyone, so I can't ask to borrow anything. Like if I can find some limited events, that's that's how I'm going to get into this game. So, and and to me, it's really hard to find a limited events in, in Flesh and Blood because, and like, this is a deeper, you know, deeper problem, I think, but um, the more entrenched players don't particularly want to play limited, right? So for the most part, like that just kind of is how it is, right? People would rather play constructed and blitz. So it's a bit a bit harder from that standpoint. And then I think in terms of keeping them coming back, like that is that is that is LGS based, the, the way that they run their events, what events they're running, how they interact with the community, the community itself within that and how they support and and um I guess nurture their flesh and blood community. Like that is a big part of it obviously. But I, I think, you know, there's there's still stuff that LSS could be doing. For instance, right now we're in a pretty low period of time do you remember and maybe this is thinking of fond memories but the farewell welcome to wraith events that they did those events were like massive in my area and i'm pretty sure from like anecdotally yeah. i heard they were all pretty big and when, I think when was that, that can you remind me like in in regards to like it was in between it was pt1 okay it was after pt1 so yes I, I didn't mean to cut you off but that was also like in my opinion that was like the apex of flesh and blood like flesh and blood was popping off then so it I do think Farewell, Welcome to Wraith, sick event. It enticed me to go. I love Welcome to Wraith. Mm-hmm. Also, the set was rotating. There was a good structure to it. And, you know, it was like a special thing stores could have. So I, I went. It was it was awesome. But also during PT1, I mean, Flesh and Blood was like, 
at least in my experience of reality in my sphere, it was like the freaking game at the point. Cause we just mm-hmm. had our first pro tour. We're like, Oh my God, we're going to have more of these. This is the circuit. And I just felt like optimism and interest in the game was at an all time high then as well. Do you think they could rerun something like a, a farewell, welcome to Wraith style kind of thing now? And it would have the same effect. Well, I think potentially, I think it could look a little bit different. I think I would give a wider time period and allow stores to run it when they wanted based on what the community wanted so that they have these kind of, and even maybe it's like a, like a league. They're like, oh, for December, you know, it's, it's quite a month, but we're going to run this league for the first three weeks of December or even into the, you know, the first three weeks of December and two weeks in January. At the end of it, there's going to be some prizes based on, you know, whatever. And there's some special promos. It's an event. I think they need to bring some lore into it as well. Because whenever they're just like, oh, there's a skirmish event. It's like, okay, we're back to skirmish. But what does like skirmish mean? Like, what is, you know, I don't even, I can't even tell you. I think, actually, no, it was a coal foil uh, tech local. Yeah. was the, 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 the promos, loss, which right? is pretty cool. Promos, yeah, but promos like, are so important too. I mean, that's but all. I think they need to mean something. I think yeah, they need yeah, to mean for something. For sure. Well, but how do you so. do that? Because it's an, it's an inherently Ponzi-nomic structure, right? Like the more promos you inject into a game, the less interesting they are. For sure. The less valuable they are. How do they maintain something like that? Because if I look at a game like uh, Lorcana or One Piece, like their promo structure, Lorcana is a very young game, so inherently the promo mm-hmm. structure is very, very valuable at the beginning of a game. I don't know if it'll teeter off. But in One Piece, they are very promo-related or promo yeah. uh, promo first. How does Flesh and Blood reinvigorate that sort of promo system to incentivize players to go out to events to try to win them? Um, and, you know, a lot of the t- I mean, sometimes you get a really cool promo, but, you know, a lot of times there is a there is like a, a base financial gain that you're getting by winning that mm-hmm. promo as well. How do they get that back? Well, I, th- I also think that maybe they need to make the XP system worth something again. Like in terms of, I like this potential we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you know, the kind of move away from PC invites on XP makes sense now that the ELO system is developed. But now what does XP mean other than getting your name on the leaderboard? And, and that is great. Don't get me wrong. I think that's a great incentive for some, some players. Invited to but, Queenstown, I guess. Wow. Uh, it's a tough one but yeah I, I think there's there's work to be done there i think from you know there's to, uh, to go back to rob's question you know in terms of armory tenants and skirmish tenants i think you know partly time of year it is tough anyway and, and maybe that's an expectation that doesn't need to be held but i do think if you are trying to especially skirmishes in particular um I, I do think that comes from lgs running the right events at the right time the community itself but also i think lss needs to make sure that they're doing their part and making sure they're funneling players into those events because um, it can't just all be lgs and and community driven yeah it's interesting <laughs> i just i honestly don't know the answer uh unfortunately That's tough. i really i really don't know the answer but at the same time i don't think that i um understand the minds like understand what motivates players to attend armories week to week at this life cycle at this point in the life cycle of the game enough uh to really weigh on on like how could we motivate them more how could we get more attendance i'm just detached from it because I, I think about like why why would i go to an armory and for me it's it pretty much is just a social experience if i want like maybe i want to play with my physical cards that's one thing but mm-hmm. it is a yeah, bit um it is a bit niche but if i wanted games i would you know there's talishar if i wanted uh you know to play with a friend i could hit them up and you know play over webcam or play on talishar it's like what would motivate me to go to an armory and for me it's like promos probably wouldn't do it because they're so inconvenient for me but let's say they're very convenient promos uh that were financially viable and a community experience that was like enjoyable it's just a social outing right but that's that's not lss based that is that's local game store to local game store right um i will say one thing so i played a lot of armories this time last year because mm-hmm. dynasty was fresh so like people weren't really testing there wasn't you know pt1 wasn't for a while 
So it was a good opportunity to go to armories, like mess around with some stuff, try some decks. This is where I was actually making a bit of content as well because I was able to go and play with these decks and try them out. There's new cards around. And I actually think as much as Dynasty as a set, you can, you know, go to the side and talk about that and what that set did or didn't do. At least it sort of injected around a, a quieter period of time some opportunity to have some new cards in hand. And and honestly, maybe that isn't the right approach. Maybe Alice has reflected and said, didn't get the attention it needed. It was in a down period of time, wrong time to release a set. But you know, it was interesting to have a new product in hand for December, January and being able to do something with it. Um, so I, I just, know. I just think, sorry, this is tangenting slightly, but I'm going back to another point. I think it's funny how like, so, cause I, I actually kind of agree with you here. Like I'm so quickly, I'm going, I'm circling background to like, oh, maybe like XP qualifying you for a rel- in my, you know, it, relative, uh, or important events is like, imp- is a, is a good concept. <laughs> cause like, I always hated yeah. the idea of XP cause like, I, I don't know. It it just incentivized a way of playing the game that I didn't really enjoy and I didn't think was conducive to competitive integrity. But that being said, if there's nothing motivating players to go to armories and that was a significant motivator for a lot of players, not just the Brody Spurlocks, um, then maybe it was a good system. I don't know. I don't know. But that's still happening right now because PTLA is still XP invite. So okay, well then um, I guess it's not relevant. I don't know. <laughs> All right, let, let's move on. Um, thanks for the question, Rob. YouTube comment section, Brendan, do you want to take us into it? Yeah, first one here is from New Jersey Dama. They say, hearing Brendan talk about Sam Sutherland is such a proud moment. He works at my local armory and I'm lucky enough to talk and learn flesh and blood from him. In addition to him being such a great person, in addition to him being such a great person, also learning. The community is so good. It's such a great thing to experience. Yeah. I met uh, Sam for the first time in person in Barcelona. <laughs> just seems like a nice guy, to be honest. It's just like uh, this. It's the Australian archetype. You're just like you're just all cheery and nice. I feel like on the aggregate. Yeah, yeah it's weird. I don't know. Wouldn't know. No. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Yeah, it's because you're from New Zealand. Uh, all right, this one's from the Legal Custodian. Regarding the point of buying your way into the Pro Tour in the World Championship, I agree that one should be able to enter high tier tournament events only through their own, only through winning in their own merit. But you should have to consider that high tier tournaments are big marketing events for the game as well. Fab has to show full tournament events with sweaty butts and seats. <laughs> Why are they sweaty? If you already have a barrier of entry and people with tickets uh, to enter don't come, that is a problem. This is alleviated through the ability to sell off PTIs to people who want to show up. It's a win-win. LSS has full seats. PTIs get used and the seller gets at least some money uh, for his efforts to achieve it. Um, and Arano has a shot at big money and still has to prove his ability on the site. Yeah. Um, I, like We have another comment about... PTIs. There's three. There's three. Yeah. There's three in total. Well, so like, I think that like when you look at this, I think this is a very reasonable argument, um, and I don't disagree with it. But we have a few comments that are talking about like, I don't know, the results of the PTI selling system and how it has ended up in a good, in a good situation in this case. And I think it's a little bit utilitarian, right? Where we get past, it's like, oh, well, this this good thing happened, so therefore the system is is good. I don't necessarily think the system is terrible for the game i don't actively hate it it doesn't actively bother me but i do think the concept of buying yourself into these pro tours is is just lame when everybody else being there is is earning it and i think that if you had to earn it it would make it more prestigious it would make the pro tour feel a bit more special that being said i think that my view could be just way too romantic and is potentially not reasonable so maybe this is just a net positive system uh for the pro tour 
But I do think that buying, I do think, I, I just can't get past, I do think that buying PTIs is just lame. Like, I, I don't think you should be able to, like, kind of, like, pay your way into the pro tour when there's other people that are out there, like, grinding, working really hard. It doesn't, again, buying your way into the pro tour doesn't mean you're going to get shit. You're just going to go there and lose, most likely. But it's just, like, there's all these other systems that have been built up that are, you know, these competitive pathways for people to climb the ladder and make their way to the pro tour. And then, you know, Johnny from wherever just buys one for 500 bucks. It definitely hurts the competitive integrity a little bit, but that doesn't mean it destroys and it doesn't mean it necessarily has to be, um, you know, taken away. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Why don't I read the next two and then we can circle back on this. I'll kind of hold my mm-hmm. my thoughts until then. Uh, Little Mag126 says, I think being able to buy PCIs helps the prestige of the events because being a pseudo professional is so much more realistic when you can sell off excess PCIs and buy into tournaments that you may not have had the luck time to qualify for. Interesting. I think kind of, you know, there's kind of a little bit of some similarity to what you said, yeah. but also a counterpoint there in it's, terms yeah. of the... It's a little cart before the horse because it's like, I guess not in the in the way this is phrased, but it's cart before the horse to say like, oh, this is like part of the prizing structure for a battle hard and incentivizes battle hard in attendance because you can sell the PTI. It's like, well, we could also just, you know, go before that and change, change the compensation structure mm-hmm. so that they're inherently, you know, they motivate players to come. Yeah. Uh, and then Mara Farris, top four Pro Tour competitor, says, figure I should weigh in on the buying PTIs thing. I'm the player Hayden briefly mentioned that made top eight of Pro Tour Baltimore after buying my PTI. I live in an area with incredibly competitive ProQuest. Uh, SCG is my LGS. And I don't think any pro player in the game that won't tell you there's, there's I, sorry, and I don't think there's any pro players in the game that won't tell you that there's always a little bit of luck to winning a tournament. And lead up to PT Baltimore, I top eight of five ProQuest, two Battle Hardens and three PTI events and still ended my season without an invite. So I bought my PTI. I don't see how my attendance at the PT diminishes the competitive integrity in any way. I think the PTI system is probably one of the best things to happen to flesh and blood. And if someone who would never otherwise be able to earn their way to the event wants to pay 600 for the chance to say they went 03 drop at the Pro Tour, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of the point I was talking about last week in terms of some of the regionality as well, in terms of, you know, where it might be a bit tougher to get the... Because, you know, this is the thing, right? There's regionality and I'm not, though, I, at every level. Right. right? There's callings but are regional, just, Pro Tours are regional, Armories are regional. Well, uh, but Pro Tours, that's your point, right? Is the best of the best and Pro Tours aren't truly regional, right? Like, let's, so let's use an example, and I'm going to use a, a country here that I don't even know if people... Okay, let's use Guatemala, right? Let's just mm-hmm. say... Guatemala's got a, a ProQuest and five people show up to the Guatemalan ProQuest. And does that person's invite from, and again, no offense to Guatemala, I'm just, I've just pulled around a country out that I'm not sure even has uh, support to play here. You know, they get their one person who gets the invite. Is that invite equal to the person who had to play a well, uh, 90-person Yes, it is equal. It's just, it's just not fair. And that's just how it is. It's been like that since the inception of the game. Like, it's been like that in Road to Nats. It's always been yeah. like that. There are soft areas there's soft pro quests and there's hard pro quests um but that i mean that is applied to like things that exceed flesh and blood as well as like they're just asymmetric and they're unfair and that's okay For sure. that's okay but doesn't uh, that diminish the doesn't that diminish the prestige though no um because i just don't think you can do anything about that it's not this artificial system that's tacked on the top that's uh, hurting the integrity i mean it's just how i just don't think you can make it a i don't think you can make it fair in terms of like eliminating you know soft versus hard that's like a weird way of putting it uh <laughs> like uh qualifiers but yeah yeah i mean you're right like i mean uh, i don't it, i don't i don't agree does, disagree, it, does, by it, the way. Dimin- I, I agree. does it diminish the competitive integrity of the pro tour because you can effectively cheese the way getting an invite right like i have more disposable income with you than you so like 
effectively the same thing as buying a PTI. I have more disposable income. I can fly to, I feel so sorry for our Guatemalan players, to Guatemala and go win this pro quest potentially um, <clears throat> and get my invite. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that is, they're just different to me. And I don't know if I have the, have the words in my brain to yeah. articulate it at this point. But when I, when I, what my, my firm view about prestigious events like the Pro Tour, like even for players like Mara Ferris, even for you, me, like everyone, I think it should be okay to not make it. Like it should be okay. Like it should be something that's very hard to make. And even players that can yeah. win the tournament that deserve to be there might not make it this time. And that's mm -hmm. why you grind for it. Like that, that just adds that level of aspirational sort of content. I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's, it's a hard conversation to have, but <laughs> before you get into all the semantics, I just go back to the foundation, which is buying your way into the pro tour to paying for PTIs that other people are earning through competitive merit is in my opinion, not a cool system. It doesn't mean it hasn't ended up in some good scenarios and it's not maybe mm -hmm. a net positive thing for LSS for the game. It's just, I don't like it. It just puts a bad taste <laughs> in my mouth to be honest. And that, I mean, that's okay. It's just an opinion. <laughs> The funny thing is, though, is I think that this happens in every single sport and game, like to an extent people pay their way. I mean, I'll, I'll take like yeah, Formula sure. One as an example, right? Like some of the, the you know, th that is not the top 20 drivers in the world that are driving in Formula One. It is like probably the top eight to 10. And then a lot of them are, you know, they've got, they've had circumstance, they've had the right backing. If I, financially, it's a very expensive sport. It's the same with, you know, like yachting, all these expensive sports that like if you don't get the financial sport when you're younger, uh, you're never going to get the opportunity to do it. And also, you can extend that to Magic the Gathering, right? Magic the Gathering has not had this uh, buy an invite system. Not directly, but many people have bought their invite to the Pro Tour through various ways, including one of them being, you know, you go to a Teams event where you go to Teams GP and the top eight get Pro Tour invites. Well, you you pay to have two of the best players sit on your team and, and play for you effectively. Yeah. And, and I, that has happened I, I many times. I prefer and systems that are, <clears throat> like, I prefer systems like that where the players themselves are subverting the system and exploiting the system rather than the system itself inherently has an exploit in it that that is that they are sort of sanctioning it just makes it i don't know there's no other way to put it than, it, than it's then i think it's late like and that it doesn't mean it's wrong it's it's not it's not a fact it's just my opinion is like i just don't really like it and again yeah. i enjoy using the system i do but i think it would be cool if the pro tours and the world championships were merit-based only and that might end up in some players that absolutely deserve to be there could win the entire thing maybe not qualifying one time mm -hmm. but that's okay as well yeah I think it's okay to all right well qualify. i think feel free to drop your 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 comments and replies i think we'll we'll leave this off uh i don't know we'll where else this, we can go with this, this one man. yeah just, we're, we're, so we're done cool. with this now i think I'll, I'll say that i'm probably you know i'm not directly opposed to bringing on this one but i'm I'm uh, a bit further away than he is. I, I think the system is... I've come around on the system. But anyway, let us... You know, feel free to drop your thoughts, but we, we won't be reading them on next week's pod. I think we're done. <laughs> With the topic of five PTIs, let's move on. Next one is from Hashatter. I know. This has been getting me for years. We're going to get we're gonna get cancelled one day for these yeah. people's uh, YouTube yeah. handles. HS Shatter is the actual name. All right. Isn't Kano an aggro hero? Just a weird combo build. Though I can definitely understand if you separate wizards from the definition of ag aggro and fab. I think I'm an aggro specialist, though I definitely am not uh, special in the skill sense. I go between any aggro deck. I definitely have to learn new details for each class and hero. But how I approach playing against each individual hero is viewed through the same lens, applying different versions of the same tools. Um, I definitely, I'm definitely limited 
I've definitely limited myself by not playing a hero I was familiar with because I thought she was poorly positioned. Also, keep going, Sam. Definitely helped me learn Dash by watching us play. Uh, I really like hearing your take. You, may, uh, you make me think about mundane fab stuff. Fun. Thanks for the videos, Hayden and Brendan. Um, <laughs> yeah. I work through that one. I, it's like, a, you ever been in like a, when you're in elementary school as a kid and you do the reading comprehension for the class and then you do like the popcorn reading? Dude, don't even worry about being in elementary school. I've been in like training sessions for work where oh, like geez. the HR have asked people to read stuff. Oh, you it's read insane. this paragraph, anyway. you're like, what the fuck? Oh, gosh. No one wants to volunteer. Um, yeah. So, th this is in reference to last week. Obviously, the pod was talking about being a specialist and, and why, you know, we presented the argument of why being a specialist in 2024 could potentially be a very good spot to be in flesh and blood. Um, and, you know, talking about, okay, talking about Kano as an aggro hero. First of all, I think the, the problem is that aggro is, and we've talked about this before, aggro is such a terrible terminology in flesh and blood like it just doesn't really work and we talked about uh gorganian time dylan's video where he broke down kind of fab as a fighting game and presented you know some different archetypes to potentially use and one of the ones i think applies the best that gorganian time presented was this rushdown archetype which feels it's a, it's a bit different to aggro it's a bit more similar to the fighting game aspect and i think that works a lot better with the, the quote-unquote more aggro style of decks in flesh and blood and i think kano is whether it's in that rushdown category or not uh it, it's very explosive i don't think it would fit the traditional aggro uh term but yeah I, I think there is a lot of people who identify with rushdown or aggressive decks in card games and i think honestly it's really hard to find a home in flesh and blood especially recently like i think i look back like six to nine 12 months ago you had like Fi and briar and katsu and you know you had so many different kind of aggressive decks and a lot of those lexi even and a lot of those have like kind of disappeared and it's become more mid-range and i think trying to identify with an an archetype that isn't more mid-range or control or whatever you want to call them in flesh and blood but is more rushed down aggressive explosive damage based is actually really hard right now so um i feel for i feel for hash hatter on this one <laughs> Well, do you think Kano's a rushdown hero? That's the thing. It's like, uh, nah, yeah, I don't, don't actually. Yeah. Kano's just like Kano gets a bad rap for it's a wildfire combo, but it's actually a very non-linear deck uh, that has like many, many, many Sometimes. ways to win the game. No, I mean it is. It, it, it is. is. It yeah. is. It is. It is. Yeah, it, it is. is. But I think it's like eighty percent of the deck is, but often. 80% of the way you play the deck yeah. in it's certain just situations is not that. anything outside of Aether Wildfire is dog shit, so you end up doing that most of the time. <laughs> can uh, be, can be. Yeah. 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 All right, next one is from BB Paintball. They say, Olympia can snowball the wagers and will, uh, will be a big attack action warrior um, that can end the chain with a weapon attack. A gold token fix, fixes hands and cash, and cash in can blow out in warrior where you draw into more go again or reactions decimator acts will be able to gain tokens at will and set up a series of turns that might uh that have might vigor and agility available to have multiple big attacks i mean that's the theory right that's that's like peak peak flesh and blood theory i think is that olympia is going to be like this kind of snowball deck that uses the the gold and it's and wages and leaks damage and has all these like amazing breakpoints because every card is worth like four and has a that that is peak theory whether this plays out i honestly think we need to see more of the card pool first like i've seen so many takes on like x i know you're you're off off x at the moment brendan twitter i'm, I'm just gonna call it twitter come on man yeah um because at some point i mean who calls it'll, it x? it'll become twitter only dweebs. it'll be called twitter again um <laughs> I, I think, you know, people are like, oh, Kasai is already the best warrior we have with, like, the card pool, and Olympia is already the best warrior we have with the card pool. I, 
I mean, I think we need to see, see more cards. So far, I like there's a lot of like peak theory in terms of what Olympia and Kasai can be. Um, but I, I, I think they are not those things yet. Um, so we'll see. But I, I get the, I get the thought process. And Decimator X is is a really interesting weapon. Um, I mean, I think if you're going to flip over Decimator X, you're still going to be encountering a lot of the same problems. Like, how do you ever beat Dromai and things like this? But, um, you know, people have time and. And John we've still got a lot of well, we've still got a lot of cards to see from <laughs> from heavy hitters, as I was going to say. But yeah, maybe that too. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> All right, next one is from Mon Tyrant one seven eight four. I feel specialization is for the birds or elitists. I don't know what that means for the birds or elitists. Um, over specialization would leave you with too many weaknesses. I think it's just odd not to play uh, other characters. Just from a value for your time slash money perspective, if your only goal is to get good at one character, why even playing it in the first place? You might as well enter a league uh, of a different game where there are no characters that reward, and then the rewards are greater. I I, I think I think this person's just wrong, <laughs> to be honest. Like, thank you for the comment, but I I think Flesh and Blood is a game that specifically can allow you to play any number of characters you want, and yeah. if you identify with one or you only want to play because they were saying you know and interestingly they're saying you know that like specialization is for the elitist like i feel like specialization is for like everyone i feel like everyone can be you know like i honestly think it's almost kind of the opposite i feel like some of the elitists are like i play everything it's definitely the opposite opposite. you just you just happen to see some elite level players also specializing which is like the weird phenomenon that's going on or no you know what you see and this is where i think this is coming from is you see some of the people with the loudest voices in the room be one you know like be one trick heroes or specifically yeah, focused on heroes because they're probably content creators and they won't shut <laughs> up about you. Kano. yeah okay <laughs> that's actually directly pointed at you but i think this kind of you know you talk about um mod tyrant talks about kind of the value or time for your money perspective i mean i can, can go either way because i think time time spent can often be better spent on a single hero or even your money could be better spent on a single hero so i I honestly just kind of just disagree with this point, but I think it's interesting. I think I can see where they're coming from and where this kind of comment is coming from, but I just I just don't think it's true. I think that specialization is for everyone. I think it's really interesting in a game like Flesh and Blood because I think it can really allow you to do this. And I, I think that's kind of one of the cool things about the game, honestly. Um, so, yeah. Let's uh, close it up. We've got a couple, of, a couple of comments, a couple of small one-liners for you, Brendan. Um, Tom, because I'm just, I just know it's Tom. Uh, Thomas says, Azalea in 2024, let's go. Uh, Andrew says, Viserai now, Viserai forever. And uh, Pop King says, Olympia has the most vanilla NPC ass style, which I thought Brendan would appreciate. It's true. <laughs> it's true. The younger hero looks better. It does. It's true. It's true. Um, so, yeah, specialization in 2024. All right. Yeah. Main topic time, Brendan. He's not going to win the pro tour, I'm telling you. Okay, you want to start with that? Because we've, we've got a bit of a split main topic. <laughs> no, got- he, might, he, might, he might win the pro. So, Reinar looks really good. That's, that's the, I mean, so there's more to the main topic. I was talking about the other heroes a bit. Um, but Reinar, We're going to talk about Limited, yeah. but we're going to talk about Reinar winning the Proto first. Because Reinar it's looks really good. Like, beat Bonebreaker Bellow. I'll read out the card because it's new. It's a brute non-attack action, a common. Um, it costs one. This is the red one. It blocks for three. It has beat chest. It says, is it additional cost to play this? You may discard a card with six or more. It means you get the pick. It says your next brute attack. This turn gets plus three. If you have beaten your chest, by the way, it's a may ability. This turn, instead, it gets plus five. Oh, 
Bro, and it has go again. I didn't even notice, oh my god, that you just have to beat chest once. You yes, 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 yes. Once. You can play, yeah, you can beat chest off another card, then play this, and, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. All right, all right. It's better than Let I me... thought it was, and I thought it was good. <laughs> so we obviously, over the weekend, showed that Rhino was coming back. That was our, our preview. Thank you to Alice's for giving us the opportunity. It was great to, you know, as much as I posted up on Twitter, Brendan, don't know if you saw this, I said, do you think Alice's were trying to do this out of kindness or this was a direct slight against me giving us Rhino? Uh <laughs> I don't think I should answer that. <laughs> All right. Uh, but Beat Chest is an awesome mechanic. We also got to show Show No Mercy, which is Rhino specialization. It is a brute action attack at red. Uh, it's majestic. Defense of three attacks for six. It says, when this attacks a hero, intimidate them. If the defending hero has no cards in hand, this gets plus three attack. Now, I, I was talking about this card on our Patreon pod, so I'm going to share some of the same it's sentiments. But I also was. Rampage. This card is insane. Like, that, that second line of text is a static ability. Because people are like, oh, so you have to intimidate their whole hand before you get this? No, 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 no. They can't block this. Because if they put cards down to block, so if they go down to no cards in hand, then this triggers and you get the plus three. It's actually hilarious. That's it's so funny. It's really strong. I, it's actually it's really uh, strong. I wonder if everybody saw that the first time they read it, because this if the defending Probably. hero has no cards in hand, it gets plus, this gets plus yeah. three. That's a funny it's interaction. Um, it's such a good combination with um, Barrage and Beatdown as well. Yeah, I'm going to be like, honest. Hey, like block with you. <laughs> We, you said, are we getting the Azalea treat? Are we getting the Ranger treatment? Well, that's my question. That's yeah. that's the thesis of this. Yeah. That's what I want to talk about. It looks better. Um, like the Ranger Whoa, card. Come on. It does. Codex finish it? I mean, Codex okay, of, that uh, card, uh, that's a, that card's an outlier. Maybe we'll get one of those as well. But <clears throat> just like the general Ranger card, you remember like the arrows we got? We're like, oh, these arrows are just like more powerful than some of the other arrows yeah. we have. Um, the non-attack actions we got as well were like nuts. This mm. These cards, I think, look more powerful. I do. Yeah, I think so. There was a there's a third card which I'm less excited about, but I have seen some people actually talk about this and be a little bit excited about it. So we also showed uh, Rawhead Rumbler, which is a a rare cycle uh, of brute attack actions. Defense for three, the red attacks for six, cost two. Has beat chest as we just talked about, and says when this attacks a hero, if you've beaten chest this turn, intimidate. So you know you could three card combo this with your, well, I guess four card combo this with your Bone Breaker. Let's just see what that looks like. So you play your Bone Breaker Bellow. You beat the chest, you discard your six attack, you pitch the blue to play this, then you play your Rawhide Rumbler. So you've gone four card 11 for double intimidate. That's not particularly great. So I don't know. I'm not big on Rawhide Rumbler, but um, it, it might be good. But Shona Mercy and Bonebreaker Bellow in particular, I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, so I think I just want to present a couple of things about why I think Rhino looks so good. Is Rhino going to win a Tour? I don't know. But like it does look like, and are we getting the Ranger treatment? Maybe we're getting the Azalea treatment, but not the Lexi treatment. Might be my thesis on this a little bit. Uh, but I think, first of all, I think Shona Mercy, very, very powerful. It's just a direct upgrade. It's like at its floor is like a slightly worse pack hunt. Its ceiling is an infinitely better alpha rampage that effectively, you know, it costs you one card less um, and combos with some of uh, some really powerful cards in your deck. The, the beat chest mechanic. If we see a couple more cards with beat chest, I think this is what's really going to push Reiner to being like a tier two, maybe even tier one deck because it fixes a lot of the issues that Rhino's had with dealing with kind of 
So you can have good matchups with Reinhardt, but sometimes you just lose the game to your variants. You you can't, you know, the discard aspect of it isn't where you need them. You discard the wrong card at the right time, at the wrong time, sorry. Now all of a sudden you've beat Chest and now you get to leverage some of the most powerful discard effects in your deck. Like, oh, now I can make sure that this um, beast within is the card that's discarded so I get the value off of it. Or it's not the card that's discarded so I don't die to it. I can now make sure I discard the skull crack to get the extra resource off of this. So now all of a sudden you can make sure that you're getting, oh, I, I, discard, I make sure I discard the... Um, massacre so i get the the trigger off it like you know making sure that you get the right does trigger off massacre or is massacre not attacks only i have to that, check that, that massacre might weird. be attack actions only yeah that one might not work but um basically the, being able to make sure that you you discard the right card or i make sure i don't discard my blue that i need to finish off the rest of my turn or i make sure that i don't discard my you know blood rush bellows that i'm going to arsenal for next turn like beat chest as this kind of mechanic that reduces mm. the variance of reiner on pretty good rate cards is really really strong honestly master has to be discarded to pay the cost of an attack action card there you go so so yeah yeah uh, the, the cost so you can you can um on an attack action with with beat chest it does work though but not on a non-attack action yes yeah so that, that's really good it's good it's good um it just seems so let's talk about fundamentals we right, have been talking on. about Brute, or I mean, you have been talking about Brute for a while. And the, the, we, we constantly, about three years. Yeah. Constantly, yeah, about three years. <laughs> talk about, constantly talk about the direction they've taken Brute. It's like, oh, Brute is just forever going to be ass because it's just variants. They double down the variants. They cut out the floor, raise the ceiling. Yay, we have these high rolly cards mm-hmm. that can do crazy things. Well, they just did the opposite of that. They just made you yeah. like the um, amazing floor. Like the floor is so good on these cards. It took everything that was bad about Brute almost everything, and basically deleted it. To an extent. Sit with that. Yeah. It, it's really good. It's really, <laughs> really good. It's so consistent, and that's really what, what Reinar was, or Reinar, Brute was lacking. Um, I yeah. still don't know how you're going to, you're going to struggle with some other, you're going to struggle with things like Jermai. I'm sure you're going to struggle with some, some strategies. Jermai. You're not, oh, not Jermai. Sorry, I meant Fi. Aggro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fi. So you're going to struggle with like these five. hyper aggro decks. Um, but, I mean, I think you will, unless these cards are just powerful enough. But I think we, we talked about the math on the Patriot part. It doesn't seem like you'd be able to outvalue them turn to turn. So, yeah, but I have been thinking about this. Okay. So, I think one thing that this does do, so you get a little bit of a power bump, and then you also get a bit of a consistency bump. Because one of the problems that you kind of have with beating these aggro decks is, like, I almost feel like you had close to no chance unless you just straight up high roll them with, like, and, and originally Blood Rush Bellows turns, basically. What you do get to do now is that if your opponent say the fire player has an off turn, like, you know, their four cards are just kind of whatever, and this can happen with fire, then your hands are going to be, your floor is going to be a lot higher than they used to be. Because sometimes you'd, you'd line up, you'd, your fire opponent would kind of have an off turn. They might, you know, not draw a blue in their hand or whatever, or they draw like the double art of war turn or whatever it is. And they need to sit up. And then you look at your hand, and you're like, wow, I, I literally like, I need to block with this hand. I have like three attack actions, no good way to punish. My intimidate does nothing here, whatever. Because intimidate, you know, pretty whatever against aggressive decks but all of a sudden you've got more powerful cards you've got kind of this you know your floors being raised in terms of your consistency and now you can actually kind of push back on the turn leak more damage than you could have previously or present more of a uh, an issue than you could have previously and then you still have the big powerful turns so while i'm not saying it's now going to fix the matchup i do think that some of these cards and just inherently what they do and how you line up in some of these matchups is going to be a bit better than it had been before. Plus, you're fixing some of your matchups that were quote-unquote good matchups before, but you could just lose to yourself or lose to the value inherently that 
something like a Bravo could present out. Now you kind of have your own value as well. Plus you have the intimidate mechanic, plus you have these big combos, plus you kind of have some of these other high ceiling cards. So I think I think it all gets better. Is it better enough? Is it good enough? Does it improve enough in terms of your aggressive matchups? I think I don't yes. know. I'm happy I don't know to, if it's enough. I'm happy to take all the hate. Alright, you're gonna take it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's good enough. I think these cards look insane and I think the beat chest mechanic is something that I thought that LSS would never print. Never. Me too. Never. I wasn't um, expecting it. Yeah. I have one one kind of I think one remaining issue with that Rhino has to face, and I think that's your your cost curve and your resource base, because I think a lot of these cards want you to play more blues. Yep. And we were already seeing people moving up to like 19, 20, even 22 blues in some cases in the decks. And your blues are kind of crap, right? Like you don't have the blue sixes, you know, this eternal kind of when's the next blue six coming? Um, you know, you still only have Rick romp for, for Rhino. Yeah. Um, you know you the still secret have that answer issue. to that? When is the next blue six coming? Well, never, but don't <laughs> play care. Um, but the the other issue is like you, you know, you how do you fill these cards in your deck? Like now you've so you have to play small blues that kind of kind of counteracts beat chest a little bit to a degree, honestly, because your consistency you get more consistency in your your cards, but your resource base now has to adapt. You want to play yellows because yellows the best. You know they have sixes. They're not the best, but they, they do the thing you want in Rhino. But now all of a sudden your cost structure has more three cost things in it. You know, Bone Breaker Bellow plus a club, for instance, is three cost. Shown a Mercy, three cost, all these things. So can you even play the yellows that you want to play? So I think that's going to be the resource space and the cost curve is going to be Rhino's challenge. So it'd be interesting to see if we get any cards that can potentially help fix that. Um, I mean, honestly, all it takes is like probably one more really good blue. It doesn't even have to be a six attack, but just one blue that has this kind of modality to it um, would be interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. And if it's a blue six, then all bets are off. Well, of course. Done. We're, we're moving through. That would be the ultimate. That would be crazy if they printed a. They were just like, oh, here. And by the way, here's a blue six. Yeah, I just can't stress enough how how much I thought that beat chess would never exist as a mechanic in this game. I thought that we were 100 mm-hmm. percent going towards more dice roll, more randomness, and this is the absolute opposite of that. Yeah, I just think just to kind of round out my one concern is that. These cards look so great. And then when you go and put the deck together because of this cost curve and resource structure, it actually just kind of nets out to being about as what it was before because you just lose consistency in your in your resource base. And it's just because that's happened before. We've seen these cards and we're like, wow, these are so powerful. And then you put the deck together and you're like, oh, actually, this solves prob- the problem that we had, but it's also created a new problem. And now we're kind of around the same space that we were in terms of the power level. So mm. Rhino's got some OP cards, man. Like swing big. It does, but your opponent has to want to block. <laughs> yeah alright should we talk a little bit about limited with heavy hitters because we are now like we're in January we're three weeks away from the world premiere um, I'm super excited going to be there on the Friday for the world premiere then playing the calling um, it's kind of an odd one like we're going to play the calling world premieres on Friday and then calling starts on Saturday and it's a calling of this new set you know an unreleased set so it's going to be very interesting that's especially what's, if that's what's up that's make, like the best that's like the that's I'm awesome. excited for it I'm so happy they oh. did that. That's awesome. They haven't done that yet, have they? I No, this is the first time. But can I share one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about? Is I feel like you're really incentivized to like grind on you the Thursday night. You should absolutely do that. You <laughs> should I, absolutely do that. I know. You I should feel like absolutely you have to, but I don't load want it up, to. Load up the spoilers into some online emulator, whether it's, whether it's TTS. There's not draft fab now, but one of those, and you should definitely do that. It's a calling. You should definitely try to get ahead. I think you... 
play the world premiere and then you try and enter a couple of the side events on the sealed side events and get the packs yeah. so that you can do some seals um for sure and you can but. also bring together all your world premiere pools right for sure for sure alice is going to make a lot of money off that though because there's going to be a lot of people wanting to play side events on friday to get as many reps as possible <laughs> smart that's smart. sweet though like that's going to be a, such and a I'm cool calling to, to watch it's yeah unfortunately it's limited but if a limited calling was ever going to be watchable it'd be that one it's this one yeah 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 but you know what would make it really watchable is making sure the draft was recorded good luck with that yep um <laughs> i might man if you're listening how do we make <laughs> he this does not Ethan. have the power to do that it's not a slight on man right. i just know i just know no, no. i know the tension behind the scenes <laughs> It is uh, hard right. now. Everyone send letters to Alice saying we want the drafts. Honestly, if for all of you listen to this, down. talk more shit about it. That's what will make a change. It's not. Yeah. It's not us. Everyone jeet. Yeah, jeet about it. All right, let's go through what we know so far about heavy hitters. So it's a six hero set, three classes. We have hybrid cards, which are going to be very, very important for limited. And this time with our hybrid cards, unlike outsiders where we had just the two wedges, uh, ninja and assassin and assassin ranger, but no. Uh, what did we not have the we had no ninja ranger right wait which one did we not have ranger assassin what am i what am i missing aren't you the expert <laughs> limited time only i'll really learn the format from you we had two wedges we had two wedges this time we have all three wedges so you have guardian brute brute guardian guardian warrior brute guardian guardian warrior brute warrior there we go the three wedges <laughs> so all three classes have a wedge between them whereas last time we only had two <laughs> i got there in the end um and i think it's pretty clear that the hybrid cards are going to play an even bigger role than they did in outsiders and they were already pretty important in outsiders but some of them um i think ls has probably learned a lot from outsiders in terms of what those hybrid cards did because some of them didn't quite fit i think in limited in terms of like the the, the right power level the right kind of um fit for the archetypes as well and then we're also in a set with all weapons. So previously we look at outsiders as another kind of core limited set. We, you know, we had rangers. Uh, so we had heroes that didn't have traditional weapons. You know, they didn't have attacking weapons. Whereas this set, we've got our guardians, our warriors, um, and our brutes, and they're all going to have weapons that attack. So that really changes. I know, Brendan, you explain what does that do to the dynamic of the limited form? Well, I was about to say something. I don't know. Uh, well, I can speculate. So weapons that attack. I think that. Maybe we could also say good weapons. I think that there's been, in the past few formats, there's been heroes that have access to, I don't know, very consistent weapons, and other heroes that have to jump through a lot of hoops for their weapons, but it may have paid off with power level of other cards and such. Let's look back at Welcome to Wraith. All the way back. That is a set that is consistent with all heroes having weapons that attack, and all heroes having... You're pretty decent weapons. The only set, by the way, right? Uh, yep. The only set. The only set. And I think if we went back to Welcome to Wraith, uh, Sealed and Draft, I think that Anathos would be a lot more powerful than it got credit for in the past. Can you imagine having a weapon that swung for... Uh, so what, I, what I'm getting to, the point is, is that uh, I wonder if one of these weapons will be too powerful and too consistent and really outshine the others. In the previous format where we had weapons that were similar to this, that wasn't the case, but I think that's because everybody was a noob back then and now uh i'm interested to see if, if if a limited format like this will be balanced or will be similar to like what would happen if we re-released welcome to rate today with all the fab knowledge that exists and i think that everybody yep. would play anathos because it's broken yeah 
So sorry, just to go back, we didn't have an outsiders. We had no ninja ranger wedge. Sorry, I want to make sure I got that out there. So we had two wedges, but not the third wedge. Um, so we also did have weapons in bright lights, but conditional weapons. So whether we get unconditional weapons this time, I mean, I, mean, I think we will. Kasai's weapon will. is unconditional, right? This exactly. Saber the is, weapons uh, we've already seen so far are unconditional. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I think one thing it definitely does is hopefully makes. Uh, hopefully makes fatigue less relevant, but uh, I'm thinking back to probably makes fatigue and- more relevant. That's the problem. <laughs> this is paradoxical. You think that you think the fatigue exists because Viscerai had the only weapon in Arcane Rising. Like, oh, what if we just gave everybody everybody weapons? Well, then it uh, actually often it just paradoxically makes fatigue even more important because it all is balanced around people attacking with their weapons. Basically, let me introduce you to two mechanics that may prevent that. One is overpower, which we've obviously seen previously, but yep. now we're printing it on a hero. And the other one is a little mechanic called Intimidate, Brendan. Yes, Intimidate is a great way to close out games. For sure. Yep. Um, is it going to be good enough? It's a great way to avoid fatigue. <laughs> yeah, it is a great way to avoid, uh, to avoid fatigue. Overpower. Honestly, I didn't give overpower enough credit in Bright Lights. And mm-hmm. Yuki taught me very quickly that I was wrong when she played on stream. <laughs> uh, but printed on the hero ability could be very, very good. I mean, Betsy does look like a very, very powerful hero, especially because she's getting that plus one as well, which is just absolutely mm-hmm. nuts. I'm interested to see what cards exist in this format to combat overpower. You know, because like we yeah. have the blocking cards. Block. In we've got block this time as well, right? I we've haven't seen, seen a block. Maybe I missed we've it. We've seen a block. Yeah, we've seen one block. Oh. I've seen one block card so far. It is the Test of Strength, which is a generic block card. A common red blocks of four. Okay. It says when this defense clash with the attacking hero. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think one thing that's kind of on my mind is like how crucial a breakpoint is going to be as well. Yep. Um, is it on head trigger in this format? Because, yeah, because of, because of wager, um, that's going to be really interesting. I'm also... Clash is the one mechanic I'm a little bit so-so on. So if you haven't seen, sorry, we should make sure we're kind of going through this. So if you haven't seen um, Clash, I just spoke that it's on Test of Strength. So Clash uh, says, um, Clashing Heroes reveal the top card of the deck. The hero that reveals the card with the greatest attack power wins the Clash. And Test of Strength, for instance, uh, the winner creates a gold token when you Clash. Um, So that one's going to be an interesting one to me. Uh, But Wage, I'm very, very interested in. Mm. Um, So Wage is, of course... Uh, you may wager when you attack, and if the attack action hits, then you create the token. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't, then the opponent creates the token. And I think that honestly, I'm really interested in how this can play unlimited in terms of just the skill test this has, uh, and how because not only when you wager as the attacking hero, but whether it's correct to block it out or not, and how you evaluate the trade of the card versus the token uh, as the defending player, I think is going to be really interesting. Plus, plus Brennan, any potential combat tricks any attack reactions that could be present as well to uh kind which of, it seems know. like it's yeah. completely synonymous with what this uh what this format Warrior. is going for by the way right uh you want me to blow your mind real quick clash is my favorite mechanic probably one of, not clash yeah clash one of my favorite mechanics in flesh and blood i can't imagine a more quintessentially flesh and blood mechanic than clash it is almost pure variance at the face level on the first cycle right it's almost pure variance obviously if you like 
you know, if you're playing a Guardian, your opponent's playing a Ninja, you're probably going to win the Clash. And yeah, that's also an aspect of Flesh and Blood is you have this asymmetric dynamic where you have an advantage over your opponent in terms of satisfying the criteria for this mechanic. That being said, you have this somewhat high variance gambling mechanic that exists on the card, but you get the second cycle. Mm. And that's, it's 100%. Now you know, and I can't wait to watch or play some games where a clash on the second cycle, I don't know how relevant the mechanic will be. We haven't seen it on too many cards quite yet, I don't think. Uh, but if there are big payoffs for this, how, how you could sort of pitch stack for that and what you would be doing effectively is counter pitch stacking as well um, yep. to set up a really nice class. That might be Magical Christmas Land, but I love <laughs> I love clash from a game design standpoint. I love it. I, I don't know what my favorite mechanic is. Like I thought for a while it might be Fuse, but my favorite mechanic I, is Intimidate. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit toxic. I won't say that. I mean, I do really like Intimidate. <laughs> I'm excited uh, that it's returned to Limited. If you've played Welcome Trade Limited, I think um, I think it makes for a very interesting mechanic. I think yeah. I really like Rupture, actually. Just thinking about it. I really like Rupture. But I, I think Fuse might be still my favorite mechanic. Just Isolator Unlimited bought me so much joy. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I guess the the other thing I'm considering as well is like the defensive value of the set. It looks reasonably high. Like Welcome Traith was the highest um, average defense value, and this looks like it might play out similarly. And that that has an interesting dynamic in terms of just going back to the fatigue aspect as well. Um, but also because of these breakpoints, I think it makes it quite interesting because in some sets, so there's been some sets where like an odd number isn't necessarily a breakpoint, or sorry, like a um, you know like yeah, an odd number hasn't necessarily been a breakpoint. Like in some sets, like six has actually been a breakpoint yeah, because getting three. two cards that block three is really t is really difficult to have in any given hand. So like actually six could be a breakpoint, um, but five wouldn't be, for instance, you know, because you and, and four sometimes, you know, it was actually less desirable because you had all these two blocks. But six was a number that actually could be quite quite interesting. So I think in the set, it's going to be more likely that four and seven are going to be the more interesting um, points, breakpoints in this um but yeah the other question i have is like what does the average defensive value actually look like and what will that mean for for some of the mechanics plus potential fatigue as well yeah i mean i'm really i'm also going back to another point i'm really interested to see the attack and defense reactions uh and that yeah, we could potentially have in the set that's i don't mm. I, I don't think we've had a set with like too many attack and defense reactions since something like welcome the wraith which was so headlined by things like i mean of course you had the entire warrior class in that format but also things like pummel and razor reflex which is yep yeah that that's an aspect of flesh and blood that we haven't had in a while i feel like in limited like those yeah almost instant level, speed instant speed gotchas yeah yeah it's the power level and i think if they were going to do that they'd have to reprint it because a functional reprint of some of those cards would just be be too good i think do you think so? too much Reprint pummel. I think it just gives too much critical mass for certain things potentially. So I think they'd have to be just reprints or just worse versions. Um, or you know, we saw in outsiders some worse specific versions. You know, like um, the the ninja, the hybrid attack reaction, for instance, like just a worse razor reflex. Um, I mean, so far we haven't seen any defense or attack reactions, right? We've seen block, um, and that is it, right? Yeah, I think we've only seen block, and that's obviously not a reaction. So Oh, we've seen the majestic up the ante, which is a warrior attack reaction, but yeah, nothing, nothing in the limited kind of sphere just yet. But again, we've got so many more cards to see from the set. We've seen a very, very small amount of them so far. So, mm. um, what about gold? What do you think about gold in general? Like, gold is this interesting kind of thing where obviously it's mechanic based for 
a couple of the heroes, but also it kind of provides potentially some ways to fix some of the the variants if the game goes longer you get to dump you know it's a resource dump in some some ways I, I, i'm quite interested in how gold's going to play out in sealed in particular i think yeah i mean we haven't seen it in the, sort of in that use case quite yet where it's actively filter using it as a more of a mm. filter mechanic it's kind of this yep. mechanic yeah you know obviously in the jermai deck yeah where it's not really used for that uh yeah i don't know i mean gold's primary use case is or at least it's most obvious use cases in things like Kasai, like the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it as a filtering mechanic, as a way to reduce variance or limit variance, I'm not sure how often you're going to be creating gold tokens and cashing them in. It It's really powerful. It, it, it can be really, really powerful, right? Because you pitch the blue, you destroy this, you draw the card. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I I, I should speculate. I should I should put an opinion out there, but honestly, I just have no idea when it comes to specifically like how easy it will be able to create gold and how relevant that will be in terms of actually like thinning your deck and being able to go through it. Yeah, it's the one that I'm the least unsure about. I think in terms of what it's going to mean, I think breakpoints, wager, the defensive value, how block cards interact. I think overpower, um, intimidate. I think I have an understanding of what these might look like, but gold outside of what this means for you know for Kasai. Um, and worry in general, I think it's going to be interesting. A couple of a couple of notes I had, and then I have a, a question for you. But I think in terms of the heroes, and I'm just looking towards playing some sealed and some draft. I'm looking forward to now, of course, the premiere and then the calling. I think KO is going to be really contingent on what this weapon is. I think I, I find it really hard to understand what KO might look like. It mm. looks difficult All right now. All heroes are contingent on weapons and limited, in my opinion. That's like... I think this one's particularly so, because yeah. I think... I'm really struggling to understand what KO is going to look like in Limited, whereas I can kind of already see, you know, based on the hero abilities, what, what Kasai is going to look like, what Olympia is going to look like, what Betsy is going to look like, what Rhino is going to look like. KO, I'm, I'm really not as sure. Um, Betsy, I think, looks really good and easy to understand as a hero for Limited. I think it's going to be a go-to for a lot of people, especially in Sealed. Um, it has this kind of evasion. You know, it reminds me of Bravo a lot. It's not too dissimilar to Bravo, right? Again, weapons can be interesting to see what that is. Reprint um, Ethos definitely not uh, but i and i get i think you know in terms of what they've learned from the hammer and from anathos uh Ultim's hammer and then from anathos i think alice are probably gonna i think their weapon's gonna be less powerful than both of those two common weapons token weapons and the kasai looks to be more like a combo kind of setup hero that can maybe flex and olympia to me looks like the more aggressive the hero when it comes to what those two look like in their digital archetypes but that kind of leads me to my question for you brendan which is like are we actually getting archetypes? Because we have not had archetypes in some amount of time, but we're returning to a set that is Welcome to Wrath-esque where we did have a lot of archetypes and also we have these hybrid cards which potentially allow to draft these archetypes because you can stay open a bit a bit better potentially. Mm. Do we have archetypes in Bright Lights? Like a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, little there's bit. definitely a little, a little bit. Yeah, you're right. A little you're bit right. of archetypes yeah. in Bright Lights. I think it, it was, was you're right. more archetypes in Bright Lights than have been in like Almost all sets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, outsiders didn't. Uprising didn't. Yeah. 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 So, um, do I think we'll have archetypes? I have no idea. That That is such a contextual question based off, like, what cards could potentially exist. I mean, the the most, I mean, the most archetype diverse uh, format is probably Tales of Aria, but um, I Welcome to Wraith has them as well. You did the video I on that. I Wraith. You yeah. think Welcome to Wraith? Yeah. So I think personally, yeah. 
just yeah. maybe just quickly in terms of in terms of you know in, in case you're listening going what, what are archetypes in yeah, yeah. flesh and blood limited so if we look back at uprising for instance as an example um the heroes are pretty one-dimensional they kind of the decks wanted to basically look pretty much the same because it was power level driven and game plans uh, yeah the good cards are the good cards whereas in something like bright lights um you had a bit more synergy based things there were cards that interacted a bit well but better together you could have some archetypes you know you could have some different dash decks you could have um i mean tickle awesome decks just look like tickle awesome decks i think but but dash and um, max in particular you could have a bit more archetypes honestly in terms of you know some cards work better in certain builds of those decks some cards didn't work as well in some builds of those decks and that's kind of what we mean when we say archetypes well Trade, i think still had the most because there was a lot more generic pulls and there was cards that were really specific so and the generics actually played into archetypes something like slogism for instance and regurgitating slog was like really interesting and you could fit those into like all four of the heroes in different ways um so i think there was more archetypes in, in wild wraith personally but yeah sorry i thought i'd just quickly in case people were like what do, what do they mean when they say archetypes dude i think of archetypes in heavy hitters um i wish i had an answer uh, i i don't know i have no idea. <laughs> i on, just man. i just dude how could how could Get i off say, the fence. how could i say from this these <laughs> cards um but honestly, do you hope that we get them? Uh, do I hope? Of course. I mean, without archetypes, yeah. I think the draft formats are incredibly boring. Like, I thought the Uprising was such a boring format for drafting. You literally just drafted the best card, right? Do you think... I think, yeah. I mean, I think except for Icelander, but I think, yeah, generally you kind of draft the best card. Do you think that the problem is just you just so hard to have archetypes of 14 card packs? Is that yeah, is actually the difference? sure that's part of it. For sure. How much of a part of it is it? Because at one point I was like, oh, this is like 80% of the fact that archetypes don't exist well, is 14 versus 15 cards. But I think it's less than well, that. Well, I think... If we drafted four Uprising packs, I think the well, decks would yeah, still... But... No, I think that they would still be the same. I think you would still be okay, doing yeah, agree, the same strategy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, like, yeah. it, the, it's easy to look at the, the smoking gun and think it's, uh, you know, think it's the card packs, the 14 card packs in Uprising, but yeah. I, it's just the set design. Um, it's the design, yeah. I think I think the wedges the and the, the triple wedges the the wedges between each of the classes is going to really make some potential archetypes. And yeah, it's in a six but hero set. Card right? design needs to be there. Yeah, in a six hero set, I feel like we won't have archetypes, and the heroes will be archetypes in and of themselves. That's kind of what outsiders was, right? Yeah, that that seems to yeah. be what happens when we have more heroes versus less. I would love to see the six hero set, but there's like two kind of distinct archetypes between each of the heroes, so you effectively end up with you know twelve. 12 archetypes that you could draft that that's what i would like to see that's mm. what i thought outsiders was going to be and then it became clear that basically only one of the heroes really had two archetypes and the rest were pretty straightforward to build but my hope is that it's not just different flavors of fatigue which i think that lss is really learning a lesson on designing around that limited um yeah, it's hard though it's really hard it's to do really hard because the fundamentals of the game kind of really play to fatigue in a lower power format <laughs> absolutely you're absolutely correct um I wonder if we'll get a limit on deck size and draft as well. You mean more like uh, different to the 40 that we currently have? Yeah, like a 30. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I just think that's, again, I hate crutches for design. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, they, yeah. I mean, they're obviously realizing that, that they have issues in sealed and uh, yeah. and even draft. I remember Tales of Aria, top eight, Dallas, Nomvo drafts a 44 card, 46 card Oldham deck. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Good luck beating that. And tons of healing. And so yeah. I it's just in these defense uh in these sets with high defensive values, it's it's definitely a risk, especially when the weapons exist. Weapons are both the best 
the best way to combat fatigue, but also the best way to enable fatigue. And I don't know which one is more true. Yeah, I mean, the example you used, like, everyone also let Nam have that deck and no one else tried to draft it. And I think if one person, you know, I think fatigue is everyone fine to be in the format. Everyone except me, right? I, I, did, I couldn't have drafted the old deck. I was in the perfect snap. <laughs> it's just like the, the draft exactly. go PM is like, why did you guys not, how did you guys not do that? <laughs> why did no one cut him? <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Rhino's going to win a Pro Tour and we're going to get archetypes in limited with heavy hitters. We'll see. We'll wait and see how, how true that becomes. Um, Brennan, do you want to take us out? Yeah, well, I, I really do the, I think the Rhino is going to be a very, very good deck. I think that they're, they're signposting. I think Beach has just a really powerful mechanic and it's way too, it's way more consistent than I ever thought that they would sort of venture into in terms of brute mechanics. So Rhino is looking, is looking strong and that, that could extend to other brutes as well. I mean, mm-hmm. we haven't seen enough tools for KO. I asked Hayden on the Patreon pod about Le- Levi. He said, absolutely not. So I'll trust the judgment, but these Reinar cards look very, very good. Anyway, if you listen to this podcast, you enjoy it. And the number one thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps a lot. Um, there's a YouTube version of this at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass. We're both on Twitter at, at BrendanAPG and at Fian underscore Dale. And a special thank you to all the Arsenal Pass patrons who got to hear about those those Reinars, those, those Reinar cooked <laughs> Cooked takes early in advance. I, I wonder if we're going to really eat our words on this Reinar thing. Um, but it does look you were gen- more You were more bullish than I. I'll take but- it. It's whatever. It looks really <laughs> powerful and it looks like a ranger treatment to me. The adding consistency into Brute is just, it's crazy. And I love it. I'm here for it. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. See ya.